So, you know, often with them and understanding their focus on having that open air operable platform, it really resonated with me, obviously, because of all my work trying to do integrations. Uh, and from, you know, my PA days, I remember how challenging it was when you had systems that had taught each other. So I really liked their approach and how they were kind of taking that, you know, we want, we want to work with everybody in the field, you know, in the industry. Um, and then they had a really compelling vision to transfer pathology across not just clinical, but research. They understood and are focused on the importance of the intersection of those two and how they're going to drive innovation and improving patient care. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strank. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, forensic science, and how to spread the word about these exciting fields. Have you ever worked with a new instrument or a new software and you could just tell that it wasn't created by someone who had ever worked in the lab? Well, it turns out there is a way around this problem. Amanda Koble is a pathologist assistant and director of product management at Prosha, and preventing this problem is exactly what she does. Today on the show, we'll discuss how Amanda's clinical skills and industry skills help her to create better software solutions. Okay, let's get right into it with Amanda Coble. So the, the place I want to start with you, because, you know, we're both pathologist assistants right. uh, with, with very different career paths. Uh, and I want to start then, we're going to kind of the first half of this, we'll go through sort of your career path to get to where you are now with Prosha. So let's start at the beginning then. Uh, so you studied biology in undergrad, which is interesting because I did too. Uh, and I'm curious then, so if you go back to that time, what were you thinking about doing with that kind of degree? Uh, actually, at the time, I was also in a secondary education program because I had planned to teach high school biology. Uh, I oh, really? Completed my, you know, I completed my student teaching and had had a bit of a mixed experience. I loved working with the kids and you know, showing them how science was really important to their life. You didn't necessarily, necessarily have to have a career in science for science to really be important to understand you know, concepts. But often we were, you know, I felt like I was teaching to a test in a curriculum that was fairly limited and it just didn't feel like I had a great connection with the real world use. So I was fairly sure that probably within like five years, I would want to move on. So I ended up deciding not to go into teaching and instead ended up doing research in uh, physiology and pharmacology at Wake Forest University. But luckily, I've maintained my connection to education. Uh, I still love to go out and speak to high school science boxes or do career days to provide medical laboratory you know, professions. When oh, I was that's still great. Working, when I was still working the bench, it was great because I would actually vacuum seal leftover tissue, you know, that you know typically would have been discarded. And mm -hmm. so the students could see sort of firsthand, you know, what organs look like that they had learned about in a textbook. Um, that was always a huge hit. And now I tend to focus when I do talks around science and lab education and, you know, the opportunities there for job security. You know, there's a big shortage for lab professionals today. Um, and just how even the science career can open a lot of doors to the future. Obviously, I'm a great example of how you can start out in one area of science and end up in a very different area. Yeah, definitely. That's really cool that you do that. Uh, and and you're right. There is, you know, uh, especially, well, I guess all lab careers really, but, you know, being pathologist assistants, you know, we're we're kind of still an unknown commodity. So that's good that you you still go out and you do those kinds of things. I like that a lot. 
Yeah, it's fun. Again, like you said, they don't understand, you know, most of them haven't ever heard of the profession. Um, and then when they kind of understand it, of course, there's a lot of comparison to some of the TV shows, CSI and things like that. So it's kind of fun to to explain sort of the reality of the the profession. Yeah, for sure. Do you happen to remember like what got you interested in pathologist assistance, you know, in the first place? So funny enough, I've been in CSI. I was in high school and I took a med careers class. And typically med careers was a lot, you know, do you want to be a doctor or a nurse or something like that? And this was right after the OJ Simpson trial where, you know, the forensic laboratory played such, you know, a big role in that case. Oh, yeah. I My understanding, similar to a lot of the high school students I talked to, I thought that was, you know, forensic laboratory and like pathology were, you know, kind of one and the same. So I asked my teacher if I could do a rotation to the pathology lab at the local hospital where we were doing our um, sort of on-site hands-on training. And this wasn't a typical rotation. Like no one had ever asked to do a pathology rotation before, but my teacher was nice enough to kind of work on it. And I was super lucky that the hospital had a pathology assistant, Sean Puste, actually. And she was willing to let me come in and do a rotation with her. So I spent several days shadowing with her and, you know, she taught me all about the field, um, showed me you know, where to find programs. And I think at the time there were only three or four accredited programs in the middle state. That was incredibly interesting. And I understood now the difference, you know, in sort of the forensics and the surgical pathology world. And so later when the whole teaching thing didn't work out, I basically pre- began preparing to apply to VA school and, and took that route. Okay, so then doing this, the shadowing, is this like, I, I often call it like a light bulb moment. Like you, you did this and you're like, this is exactly what I want to do. It really was. I had taken an anatomy class in high school and we had been able to go over to Wake Forest uh, University to their run school and go through the cadaver lab as part of the field trip. And I thought that was super interesting and loved, you know, having that experience. And so then to see there was perfection that was very similar to being able to be hands-on with uh, organs and anatomy. It really was kind of that moment where I was like, this is, this is awesome. This is what I want to do. Okay, that's cool. Okay, and then you you ended up going to Rosalind Franklin, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay, one, one more thing about uh, education. Now, you went on to study health policy and management. Was this before pathologist assistant school, after, or, 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 or during? When did, that, when did this happen? It was uh, it was a couple of years into my career as a PA. Okay. So my my first job out of PA school, but then then the first six months, I was asked to begin doing management activities. You know, putting together routes for the courier and other administrative functions around like quality control. At the time, the director of the clinical lab at the hospital I was at was in a master's program for management. She kind of planted that seed that Austin, the folks uh, that are running the lab, um, are more, they're using business or management folk. They have their MBA or what, but they may not have any lab experience. And that, you know, has its drawbacks. And that generally the career path for the lab was fairly limited, unless you said had some kind of management education or experience. So I was you know, interested in having a bigger role in the lab than you know, had given and given the opportunity to do some of that even at my first job. So a few years later, uh, I had found USC Chapel Hill, you know, from North Carolina, has an executive MHA program that I applied to and got into it and ended up doing that. And that was nice because I 
the classes were in the evenings, and then we had to do one week of all-campus time each quarter. Uh, so I was able to continue to work full-time as a PA and then attend school, and it was a hectic schedule, but it was just an incredibly rich experience being able to work with your cohort, have people from all over the world, and you know see the different disciplines from doctors to people that were more like on the finance side. I still keep in touch with a lot of the classmates, but it was great because it gave me the opportunity to learn how to speak and talk the language that a lot of the executive leadership um, within a hospital system understand so that I could, you know, promote and get things done in a lab world that maybe wouldn't be possible without some of that business document. Okay, that makes sense. Do you think it was helpful that you then got exposure to, to people who were, you know, you're, you're, you're all trying to get the same, you're in the same program, but you're from different areas of healthcare. So it wasn't just lab people. So you got to see the perspective of people from other areas. Do you think, do you think that was helpful for you even like to this day? Oh, for sure. I still keep in touch with a lot of my classmates from back then. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, seeing some of the challenges and how their, their work may fit in. So a great example, and and you're aware of this, uh, anatomic pathology billing is an outlier. How most of the billing happens in the hospital, you know, you do a test, you drop a chart, Stuff gets them to the path lab, and, you know, it could be weeks before all the billing codes get put together, which is a real challenge for the finance folks and the billing folks. So kind of understanding where they were coming from helped me later in life when I was working with a lot of the, the billing folks um, in my, you know, lab management jobs. Okay, that's that's a good example. Yeah, billing is, uh, let's say, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Leaflet is yeah. probably the, the most appropriate term. Right, right. Okay. All right. So let's kind of go through your career path then from, you're already talking about your first job and then we'll go from, from there into Prosha. But in the, in the middle there, the reason I want to talk about this is it seems like in different jobs that you've had, you were gaining experience that would be helpful to you now. You know, things like QA, working in LIS, uh, you already mentioned the supervisory stuff and kind of looking at that in reverse it's, it seems like you were sort of picking these skills that you're going to need now and kind of gathering them up throughout your career so far, which I imagine that was not a conscious effort or, or was it? I'd love to say that it was, that I was that calculated and had such a great vision, but it wasn't. I, Honestly, I'm a very curious person. Like, I love learning new things, being exposed to new ideas and concepts and learning new skills. So within the lab, I really wanted to help increase efficiency and quality and, you know, was very into process improvement. So even when I was working the bench, when I was able to get involved in committees or other projects, when it was possible, one of the, the nice things that I had going for me, and I was very fast at grossing, so often I could get all my, my bench work done and still have some additional capacity to do some of these other uh, tasks or, or projects. Mm-hmm. It gave me a great opportunity to get a lot of different exposure. At my last actual official PA role where I was working on the bench, I was also managing, I was a supervisor of the lab. And at the time, the hospital was going through a lab expansion project. So I was really fortunate and was included in that project to help like literally design a new anatomic pathology laboratory space, which was like one of the coolest things I've done. I'm getting to map out, you know, 
clean workflows where especially you come in and grocery, where the grocery venture go and things like that. And then shortly after that, they wanted to, they ended up doing an evaluation uh, and to select a new laboratory information system. And so I really saw that LIS, the new LIS, is a big opportunity to update our process and then be more efficient. So I, you know, got involved in that RST process, uh, selection process, and we picked a, a vendor and then they were trying to hire someone to come in and be our LIS admin. And they were having some trouble. I think they'd made a couple of offers and people had, you know, not accepted offers. So one of the meetings, I just raised my hand and said, Hey, do you think this is something that I could do? Could I have the LIS admin? Yeah, no computer background, you know, training at all. And again, very fortunate that the director and head of IT had actually come from the lab. He had been a med tech in a previous life. So he was super supportive and was like, I can teach you the technology part, but it would be almost impossible for me to teach someone who's just like a software person, the clinical workflow and sort of nuance that you're going to understand. Yeah. Um, so that was really fortunate. And then at the time, you know, being in the supervisor role, I was also seeing all of our quality assurance, our QA program. So you know, I was able to kind of talk them to say, hey, the LIS is going to be really critical to the QA program. Can I keep that and sort of, you know, have this role that they basically created for me that was like an LIS admin and a QA coordinator role all in one. Um, so that was like, that was a really cool experience. And Ozita told me, probably a year before that happened that had been working in software, I would have never believed you. So, I mean, some of these choices weren't by any means planned. It's just I saw an opportunity to make a difference and sort of advance my love and passion for the labs. And I just took advantage of it. It's a good opportunity when I saw one. Oh, I love it. That's 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 great. Um, and, and it's so important. I mean, I, we've probably seen, I, I know I have, and maybe you have too, like, these kind of software products that are made for the lab, but are obvious that nobody from the lab was involved with them. Like they're not really um, what's like user friendly in, in the lab and they kind of don't fit into the workflow right away. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, 100%. And I mean, even when we were going through the RFP process, we would sit on these demos and most people are much more familiar with the clinical lab, right? You take blood that goes in the tube, you put it on a machine. Yeah. So all these demos would start out and they would say, we're going to take your blood. And as soon as I hear them, like a tube blood, I'm like, you don't know who you're talking to. Like, I don't right. work with blood like that. So, I mean, it kind of immediately turned me off to that vendor. Cause I'm like, you don't know what I do. So I, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, so it is important to have someone to actually understand the workflow and the clinical side. I had an input back into the the technology that we're using within the lab. Yes, definitely. And that's when, when we talk about what you're doing now with Prosha, I think that's probably a big part of that. For um, sure. Yeah. All right. And then, so you're doing the, you, you did the supervisory kind of management stuff. And then you got into, like you said, LIS administration, QA coordinator. And then you, you went into even more into software, it seems like. I did. So I worked to build out and implement that new LIS at the hospital. Did an integration with Epic about time. We went electronic for surgical orders. It was just such a cool experience. It was so valuable to see that sort of big picture of how everything works together. And once that project was done, I was, I was like, I'm ready for the next one. 
But of course, you don't implement a new system every couple of years at a hospital system. At least you hope you don't. So I was like, you know, I like, really enjoyed this. I'd like to do more of this. So I ended up applying for an implementation job with the same LIS vendor that I know was working with at my hospital. And, you know, that was an implementation job. So I'd have been going out and helping customers implement products and new upgrades, things like that. But the director of product management at the company, um, I guess, was looking to fill a product manager position for their AP product, which was the product I was using, and saw my resume and reached out and asked, would I be interested in the product manager role? So complete transparency. I had no idea what a product manager did. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, can you send me the draft description? Trying not to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I read the draft description. And for folks that are in the product manager, they'll probably reach it. I still wasn't sure what the actual role was responsible for. It was a lot of, you know, very wide spanning things. Oh, you're responsible for marketing. You're responsible for product roadmap and vision. And so I still wasn't sure. So I asked around my social circle and said, hey, does anybody know about product manager or anybody I can talk to? And so I introduced to a friend of a friend who explained to me what it was. And then after chatting through my background, he convinced me that I was probably a very good fit for the position and encouraged me to move forward. So I essentially ended up interviewing for both the implementation role and the product manager role. And at the end of the day of interviews, they said, would you rather report the weather or would you rather make the weather? Which I thought was a great way to raise it. And Mm -hmm. reporting the weather would have been implementation. And making the weather would have been product management. So, of course, I was like, well, I want to make the weather. So I took the leap and I dove into product management. I've been really, really fortunate. Again, I've been so fortunate to have people in my career who were open to, you know, teaching me and mentoring me and allowing me to have some of these opportunities that maybe on paper I didn't look like I was the right fit for, but they gave me a a chance. You know, I was able to prove myself. But my manager there, Chad Myers, he was just an incredible mentor. He helped me come up the speed on, you know, product management and the jobs. And the first year was super tough. It was, you know, it felt like I was drinking from a fire hose, but it kind of all started to click in here too. And that real world experience really proved invaluable. I understood the workflows. Our customers were talking about it. I obviously knew the product very well, having been a customer myself. And I was just able to build some really great working relationships with customers who really appreciated that. I understood that AP wasn't about taking blood and, you know, running blood tests, but I also had a lot of experience with the clinical workflows, but also with the technology and quality management. So I understood how the LAS, you know, play a role in meeting needs across all the, the areas that you're having to work with in the lab. Yeah, that must have made you super valuable to have that experience in AP, like we talked about earlier. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. again, being able to walk into a lab that felt very comfortable and be able to speak the language. I mean, they used to joke, some of the sales guys, like, you can finish their you know, their sentences. And uh-huh. I'm like, yeah, I can, because I, I knew their, their pain points. I knew the kind of, like, challenges they're facing. So, again, the product management thing seems to have turned out okay. Um, but, again, I had no idea what I was getting into at the time, to be honest. No, I believe that. Uh, okay, t- so two things I want to stress here from your, from your story. Uh, the first one being that you... You talked to other people when, when you weren't sure about this position. You talked to other people, mentors, friends, people that were familiar with the field. And that's important to do. It's important to have those people kind of in your corner, I think. 
For sure. You know, keeping a nice professional network. You know, obviously I have a lot of friends in the labs, but from my time, you know, doing student teaching, I have a number of friends in education. I've been able to leverage to reach mm-hmm. out and do talks. I have friends in finance. I have friends like, so it's nice when I, you know, come across a problem or, or something in, in the lab world that I can reach out to someone within my network and get their take on it and get some insight. I mean, again, I'm always very curious and I'm always wanting to learn from others. So it's nice to have that sort of network to, to reach out to you. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing is now, it, it seems like pretty much throughout your career so far, every time an opportunity came up, you knew enough to recognize it and you knew enough to, to grab it and embrace it. And, and see how far it would take you, which is important also. Yeah, I mean, there, at some point, I think, you know, maybe I was just crazy enough to take these, like, huge leaps, mm-hmm. career changes. Uh, but again, I, I like I said, I'm super curious. I like to learn new things. I like to be challenged. And, you know, I love doing the PA work, but after you gross, you know, 5,000 gallbladders, there, there can be a bit of monotony. I've been doing the work for about 10 years and I was starting to see fewer, fewer new things. You know, it kind okay. of felt like I'd seen everything a little bit. Um, so I was looking for something, you know, a new challenge and to sort of expand out, uh, you know, my work. So, I mean, when opportunities, opportunities came up, I was willing and ready. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Amanda Coble. We'll be right back. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists, like us, for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. If you're trying to understand the ever-changing world of digital pathology and image analysis, there's a new course that can help you, Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis. Now, this course was created by Dr. Alexandra Zhurov, who you might remember from episode 53 of this podcast. She also writes the Digital Pathology Place blog and hosts the Digital Pathology Podcast. Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis aims to bridge the gap between computer science and pathology and explains some of the complicated concepts in image analysis. You can sign up for this course by following the link in the show notes. Now back to Amanda Coble on the People of Pathology podcast. Okay, so speaking of opportunities there, let's talk about Prosha. I mean, you've been there since, I think, 2021. Correct. All right, what was it that brought you to Prosha? How did that opportunity come up? So I mean, working in, with the LIS vendor, I had already been doing a lot of work on integrating the digital pathology discipline into you know LIS workflows and into the routine pathology workflows. And then of course the pandemic hit in 2020, and you know we saw a pretty right. big surge in interest and adoption, particularly for the remote sign out aspect. So you know, much 2020, I was really focused on digital pathology and. So in early 2021, when ProSure reached out to me, you know, I was already somewhat familiar with their company. We had some meetings at the Path Visions conference a few years prior. And, you know, obviously I was super heads down on digital pathology and seeing all the, the sort of the future of pathology and all the opportunities it brought. So, you know, talking with them and understanding their focus on having that open air operable platform, it really resonated with me obviously because of all my work trying to do integrations. Uh, and from, you know, my PA days, I remember how challenging it was when you 
had systems that did top each other. So I really liked their approach and how they were kind of taking that. You know, we want we want to work with everybody in the field, you know, in the industry. Um, and then they had a really compelling vision to transfer pathology across not just clinical, but research. They understood and are focused on the importance of the intersection of those two and how they're going to drive innovation and improving patient care. So, you know, when they reached out, um, I think it was the fastest I've ever gone through a hiring process. I think I was hired within like a week and a half or two weeks most. From when they oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was kind of a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had several people from POSHA on the podcast before, and they all mentioned the culture and and kind of the vision is pretty much what brought them there. And 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 even now, like the collaboration aspect of it too, like you just mentioned. Right, and it's a smaller company, which you know is kind of neat because you you know almost everyone, and it has a bit of a family feel to it. You know, a lot of people I work with, I consider to friends now. Um, so yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting move going from a larger company, maybe like a larger hospital system, to more of a startup, a smaller company like Prosha. Um, I was a little nervous about it at the beginning, but it's it's been a really rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. I, I I can understand that. Okay, so currently you're director of product management at Prosha, and now that you've done product management for a while, are you, can you explain what it means? I, I mean, m- more than making the weather. Yeah, so I mean, the other thing that people tend to understand or they they use is like you're the mini CEO of whatever your product is. Okay. So at ProShot, oversee our clinical platform. My team, you know, a lot of our work is studying market trends, working with customers, working with some of our colleagues and internal teams that are very customer facing, are, are involved in the industry, and then working with a lot of our industry partners. Again, ProShot is very about connectivity and sort of you know bringing the whole ecosystem together. So we work with all these folks to define what do users need and then what requirements we would have for the product to deliver those needs. And then once we kind of have that all figured out and defined, then we get to work with uh, software engineering teams to actually build and implement um, what we sort of designed or, or sort of thought about in terms of what the user needs are. And um, and then we often get to work with our, you know, implementation and support teams to then actually roll it out and deliver it to our customers. Um, so it's a lot of like figuring out what we're going to build um, and what we're going to deliver uh, customers in the product. Okay, so you're involved in kind of every step of the process, it sounds like. A lot of it. I do say like a big part of my role is being also an evangelist, so to speak, both internally and externally. Right, talking about why and how our platform will bring value to our customers, to patients. Obviously, I'm super passionate about this work and about the lab. So, in the work we're doing at ProSha, what we're delivering, you know, it's really easy for me to get excited about our work and to talk about it. And um, usually, it's not too hard for me to get others excited about it as well. So, you know, there's a bit of marketing there as well. But like for me, marketing, like it's really just more me talking about what I'm doing and how exciting it is, and it. You know, I guess it turns out to be marketing, but mm-hmm. um, I don't consider myself much of a marketing person. <laughs> That's got to make it re- really easy to do, though, because you're excited about the work and you're excited about the project. I imagine that, you know, that the uh, potential clients can can see that, can feel that from you. Yeah, and that's, um, and that may be one of the the coolest things about this role is, yeah, I do, I told you I'm curious, like, to solve problems, like, to do process improvement. I really have the opportunity to do that 
and learning more and more from our customers and other pro- problems or how we can, you know, improve their lives is great. And you know, I'm getting to learn about technology. You know, I have no software background, but I now know how I could talk the talk on the tech side. So that's been really cool too, to kind of ramp up on the tech side as well. Yeah, for, for sure. Like, I, I got to imagine your, your PA skills still play a role in that. I mean, you, you're able to talk to the pathologists, to the, the, the PAs, the other uh, lab professionals ab- about the product. And, and, and that, I feel like you're still kind of, even though you're not grossing every day or whatever, or at all, I guess at all, you're still bringing your PA skills with you. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I do miss the grocery room at times. And luckily in my role, I get to visit customer sites. But like times I'll do a lab tour and I like I always like to stick my head in the grocery room and see what's new, you know, um, to say hello. But my key background, it really, again, allows me to talk with customers really easily and, and have those problem-solving conversations. So, and with, and with that, you know, you tell me a problem and I also know a lot of constraints that you're going to have. And when we talk about billing, right? Like that's one, like I understand the context of billing and how complex that is. So when you tell me an issue with like, oh, well, I'm having trouble with my seeds, I understand some of the challenges. Like we're going to build the first one at one CPT code and we're going to build all the extra ones, you know, at a difference. These are things that someone hasn't worked in the field and may not readily know that. They don't know maybe some of the nuance of the clinical workflows, why, you know, some limitations for the guardrails that are just inherent to the process. So that background makes it really easy for me to have those conversations in a contextual manner that I'm not saying something that goes completely against you, what a normal or typical clinical process would be. So, I mean, I think customers really appreciate that because, again, they know my background, you know, they, they're they fairly certain to understand their problem and we can have really open conversations to figure out solutions. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. They must, uh, I would think since you, since they know your background, they know, you know, what you're talking about. You, you kind of get a little bit of respect right away. Like, yeah. Yeah. That there's like a little bit of instant credibility, I think. Yeah. That's a better word. Yeah. Credibility. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask you now, so you, we've talked about, you've had experience both on the clinical side and, and now on the industry side. And I'm curious, do you have any thoughts on how both parties, the, the clinical and the industry parties, can work together better to advance digital pathology? Uh, that's a good question. So, and I think maybe the, the top thing would be real-world data, right? So that real-world data is critical to development, especially when we're you know, talking about new AI algorithms. So having that industry and, and clinical partnership to get to share that data is going to be really important. The digitization of glass slides is really sort of unlocking a lot of that data that was largely inaccessible previously. So I think there's also a bit of like, it's like a flywheel effect. As the adoption of digital pathology increases, there's going to be greater accessibility to data. And that's going to only increase and drive additional innovation and new apps that are, are going to continue to drive more adoption. So, I mean, I think that sort of partnership around real-world data is going to, is really huge. And then you know, from an industry perspective, we need to continue to work more on interoperability. So, you know, we talked about 
in my path life, having to do integrations between the LAS system and just equipment, instruments, things like that. You know, it was a large amount of time I spent trying to get different systems to talk to each other. We've got to do better. Um, again, one of the things that brought me to ProExtra was that they have an open platform. The API, you know, largely lets us talk to any, and you know, that's really important. Um, that's also going to help with the real world data piece, being able to share data across, but not just for like R and D purposes, but also for patient care, right? Being able to share yep. um, for consultations and things like that. So, really, that that I think is really important from an industry standpoint, making sure that we're you know, supporting that. And then, of course, you know, when we talk digital pathology and data standardization, DICOM, you know, trying to move and, and align on the DICOM for the DICOM format and move that forward, I think is really going to be huge. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. I like it. Those are, those are good ideas. Uh, now, you, you mentioned AI a little bit, and everybody's talking about AI right now in, in pretty much every, every area of life. And it especially seems like it's going to be the future of digital pathology. And I'm curious, I don't, I don't, I don't know how much you can say about what Prosh is doing with it, but where do you think AI in digital pathology is going to go from here? Yeah, so from an industry standpoint, obviously this is booming. Lots of AI companies popping up. Um, we've seen a lot of activity with like stain scoring for breast biomarkers, PDL1, you know, other IFCs, automated mitotic counts. Some interesting like classification algorithms for you know, cancer classification or even risk stratification. Mm -hmm. But I really think apps that are going to help to triage workflow and automate manual routine tasks are going to be really a big focus and really game-changing for both efficiency and error reduction. Things like automated QC. Um, that's a product that Prosha has. I think you had my colleague on a while back talking about some of that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Case allocation and workload balance. Um, you know, things that are being the automated, manual, maybe more because they are manual, error-prone tasks, that's sort of to me low-hanging fruit for AI. And then with sort of this new rich pixel-level data, we're also going to see apps that go beyond sort of whatever because they're augmentation, right? Like you're improving upon workflows already exist or things already exist. And that are really going to unlock completely new insights and, and functionality and things that were not even possible with traditional microscopy. And then that's going to really continue to advance precision medicine, especially combined with other, you know, clinical data. And I mean, to me, that is super exciting. These targeted, targeted therapies, uh, to me, that's just, that's sort of amazing. And then the other area we're starting to see a bit on are labs wanting to actually develop their own homegrown applications for their own purposes. So those are the areas I kind of see, at least in the near term, that are going to be the biggest areas of focus for AI. Uh, but, you know, I have a feeling there are things no, no one's even thought of yet, right? As we continue sure. to, to unlock all the things that digital pathology can offer. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think you're right. And it's, you know, I, I've said a million times, it's an exciting time to be in the field of pathology. And I think all these things you're talking about are going to become probably mainstream in, in a couple of years, you know, not, not, not very long into the future. And, and then, of course, the question goes into when will we get slide lists? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, there's some, there's some folks out there doing some interesting work. I, a couple of years ago at the PA conference in Seattle, 
Yes, was, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, it was really interesting where, you know, you're able to basically have H&E stained slides without even like cutting the tissue and dissection. So yeah, that, that was super fascinating. Yep. Okay. Okay. That's, yeah. Th- th- all right. This is exciting. I, I like this a lot. Uh, Amanda, this has been a really interesting conversation. I appreciate your time and, and uh, going through your career path and, and what you're doing with uh, Prosha. So, Amanda Coble, thank you very much. Thanks, Dennis. Appreciate it. This was fun. If you're looking for another episode of the People of Pathology podcast to check out after this one, here's a clip from my interview with David West, CEO of Prosha. The value of going digital is not just about moving from microscope to monitor. It's what you can do with this data. And the promise of precision medicine lies in that, in how computers and people and this data can come together. And the reality is there have been really exciting developments in the pathology AI space, and yet we are very early in that trend. We expect to see decade to, a decade to decades of innovation in applications enabled by deep learning being applied to this new kind of data medium. And we expect those applications to be simple at first, uh, but over time to perhaps be multimodal in nature, combining molecular information with image information, maybe with radiology, etc. You can hear more from David West in episode 130. All right, great big thanks to Amanda Coble. Now, there are a couple of things I want to talk about here. The first being, look at how she was able to recognize and take advantage of opportunities as they came up throughout her career. And I think this is really important because you never know what can come out of these opportunities. And if you can find them and recognize them and then take advantage of them, like Amanda did. I mean, you never know what might come up for you in the future and you never know how your career path might change. And then the second thing is, and Amanda and I talked about this a little bit after we are finished recording, it is very important that people who work in the lab get involved with helping to make instruments and software better, more user-friendly. And we talked about this during the interview. I mean, this is pretty much what Amanda has done her entire career. She's given her opinion on how to make things better. And that has led to lots of different opportunities for her. And it's made for better software and, and of course, better patient care. And I think a a lot of these companies are desperate for input from those of us in the lab. So all you have to do, I think at times is give your opinion, maybe reach out to the, the vendors that you use and give them ideas of how they can improve their products. Most of the time, I think they would appreciate that. And if, if you want to learn more about Amanda and the work she's doing with Prosha, I'll have a link in the show notes to that. Don't forget, you can follow this show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at People of Path, or just connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks for continuing to share the show with others. And together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. You can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network. And while you're there, check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Dennis Strank, and I'll talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.